0: understanding as an introvert how I operate and how to play on my strengths in the sales process because I'm you know in a sales call in a sales meeting I could be really good you know but I couldn't do it all day every day so I have to make sure I keep my energy levels for the calls where I have to be great um, and, and you know find ways of automating or avoiding the things that make you know that, that destroy my energy reserves.
1: Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen to the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. The doctor saving lives at your local hospital. The war veteran down the street who risked his lives for our freedom. The police officers and firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling, but there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur. The creator. The producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what, I can fix that, I can help people, and I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world, others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to the Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks of the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one.
2: Hello and welcome back to the Hero Show podcast. My name is Richard Matthews and I am live on the line today with Chloe Thomas. Chloe, are you there?
0: I am here. Great to be here too.
2: Awesome. Glad to have you there. For those of you who are following along with our journey, we're still in the uh, Midwest While during our travels. We're out uh, just outside of St. Louis at my uh, wife's family's home. Um, Chloe's joining us today, you said, from the UK. Where in yes. the UK are you?
0: I'm down in the county of Cornwall, so the very, very far southwest. And if any of you have been watching Poldark, um, that's where I live, Poldarkland.
2: land. Nice. So, I don't know what the, uh, uh, do you guys have the same spring, fall that we do? Is it like springtime we over do. there now?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, we're surrounded by daffodils and um, the the sun was out today. So we actually saw nice. a bumblebee in the garden. So it's <laughs> yeah, coming. We got, uh, <laughs>
2: we got the sun out a couple of times this last week and the mosquitoes were already here. And I was like, oh. man, they just as soon as the sun comes out, they're ready to come <laughs> and bite you. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. So, yeah, luckily oh, we don't oh, have the mosquitoes, but the, the bees do the same thing.
2: Yeah, let me go ahead and introduce you for our um, listeners who don't know who you are. So Chloe Thomas is a best-selling author, international speaker, host of both the e-commerce master plan podcast and the virtual summit. Um, She's a top 50 UK influencer in e-commerce and shipping rated by Securi in 2019. Um, And your podcast is regularly included in the list of top e-commerce and marketing podcasts in the world world. So before we get any further into that, let me start off. Tell me a little bit about what your business is like now. What do you do professionally? What do people come to you for? Um, You know, basically, what are you known for?
0: So I help solve uh, marketing problems, uh, e-commerce marketing problems on the whole. And most most, uh, client side people come to me with the question of, Chloe, is what I'm doing what I should be doing? and the uh, the kind of the flip of that which is chloe what should i be doing uh so for client side i do audits and i do kind of coaching and bits and pieces but that that's a tiny part of the business compared to i guess the content side so most of what i do is speak and write these days so i produce my own content via the books and the podcast and i also am now the co-host of someone else's podcast and I regularly write white papers for B2B businesses targeting the e-commerce space that they can use for lead generation. And I also speak at and chair events for other people too.
2: So um, almost all of this is exclusively in the e-commerce space?
0: It's all exclusively in the e-commerce space, yeah.
2: Okay, so do you focus on any particular type of e-commerce, like Amazon or dropshipping or you know, custom-made products or anything that involves selling physical goods on the web?
0: my focus is physical goods on the web from your own website so think um shopify magento uh those kind of WooCommerce, those kind of things yeah woocommerce that kind of stuff rather than um pure amazon ebay selling although obviously a lot of those people are now also selling on amazon and ebay
2: yeah yeah because you know there's market share available there so if your products are popular might as well get them there right
0: yeah, and it's created a whole new kind of genre, I suppose, in the e-commerce space, which is D2C or DTC, which is a direct to consumer, which is these brands who are all about kind of the brand and the product. And it's about getting it in the hands of the consumer in the right way, rather mm-hmm. than necessarily thinking of yourself as a own site business or an Amazon business or a Frugo business or a whatever marketplace you choose to be on. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of people now creating their own product, creating a great brand around it, and then selling um, via their own site, via other marketplaces, via other distributors, just to create, okay. because the relationship is the product and the customer rather than the website and the customer, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah,
2: that's, uh, that's uh, where we've been going with most of our brands. I have a supplement brand um, oh. and a CBD brand that I work with a couple of clients on, and it's that's what we focus on, is how do you create the relationship with the customer wherever the customer is shopping? Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's amazon or your own website or you know google shopping or whatnot
0: yeah it, it's a it's a very interesting new new angle on the same old problem <laughs> if yeah, that makes yeah. sense yeah. yeah
2: how do you get get customers to be aware of your product and uh and you know how do you help solve their problems with it mm. so awesome so um, I want to talk about your origin story, right? We talk on the show all the time. Every hero has their origin story. It's where you started to realize that you were different, that maybe you had superpowers, and maybe you could use them to help other people, right? How did you get started on this entrepreneurial journey of yours?
0: Um, mine was kind of a slow-burning awareness, I suppose, rather than a, a eureka moment. I got started on this entrepreneurial journey when uh, I was working for a retailer, and they went under, and I got asked in for chats with other retailers to see this was back in the early 2000s and one of the job offers that came as a result of those chats was to become head of e-commerce for a group of mail order businesses so catalogue retailers and if that went well that would become an agency and that was the first time I'd ever considered running my own business and that was the big carrot that got me into that job and then as that um That's the kind of story unfolded. We did turn it into an agency and then I spent pretty much the next 10 years trying to escape the agency (laughs) because (laughs) I realized, yeah, I realized it was, um, it was not, if I was going to be my own boss, it was not the right way for me to do it because um, I am, I'm an introvert to a pretty high level. And looking after staff and looking after new business, and looking after clients was a really great way to slowly destroy myself. So um, agency life was not where it was at for me. So I spent 10 years trying to find a way out of that. And e-commerce master plan has been my route out of that. And it's been three years since I sold it. And it's been, uh, trying to remember the dates now, which usually I have written around me, I'm terrible. For someone who studied history at uni, I am awful awful at remembering dates even in my own life um so e-commerce master plan has been around for about seven years but it it's it and it's three years since i left the agency so i'm not sure if that fully yeah, yeah. Really that explains makes... the origin story but that's the the meandering path <clears throat> that got me to here
2: yeah it makes a lot of sense so you you started out in the corporate world got a chance to sort of start your own agency in with that knowledge base and then eventually transitioned out and use that expertise as a sort of a, a content education business
0: Yes, yeah, and in it, it, kind of throughout, I've found um, speaking and writing has always been something that's just come naturally to me. So it, it's kind of it's slowly all coalesced. And if you look back, it's like, well, that was obvious, um, but it's took taken a long time to get here.
2: So the um, specifically on the e-commerce master plan—that's your uh, the podcast, right? You said you've had it for seven years.
0: Yeah. It, well, it started off as a book. That little um, hold on the other way the little dark blue one the tiny one and then it turned into a kind of a coaching company and it's still the the overall brand for everything but the podcast has been going for just over five years now
2: so just curious for my own sake because my podcast just had its first birthday
0: oh congratulations
2: how have you you seen the uh the growth over five years for consistently putting out content um just starting to see an uptick on our first year
0: Yeah, it's been, I think every year has been at least a 50% growth year on year. And some years it's doubled year on year. Nice. Um, We made the switch from IAB1 to IAB2 stats last year, which um, was soul destroying (laughs) because you go from to a more precise way of counting plays. So all the stats dropped and they're now back up where they were. Uh, on the proper rankings where they were before if that makes sense so nice. uh, so yeah the la- last year's uplift is hard to calculate um but yeah it, it's it's just continues to go up there and if i could tell you why it keeps going up why the listeners keep coming um i would make an awful lot more money than i do all i know is that you know something's working and the listeners seem to like it and
2: so how many uh, how many yeah. listeners have you hit in five years
0: oh gosh no idea we're doing we're doing just over ten thousand listeners a month at the moment
2: that's amazing yeah so, that's that's really really cool and that's,
0: um, that's about just over a thousand uh listens per episode in the first 28 days it's live
2: so with that do you, for monetization do you do you do advertising or do you have your own products that you sponsor through your podcast or do you not do any monetization at all with your podcast
0: I do sponsors. So I have um, two sponsors per episode who get a pre-roll and a mid-roll each. That's an ad at the beginning, just before the interview starts, and then an ad before my top tips section. Um, And uh, this year, I started the year with the aim of, let's try and sell all the podcast advertising space for the whole year. No timeline on that Well, Obviously December would be the timeline on that. And due to a couple of people who basically wanted the whole year, I'm sold out through November and was by the end of January, which is marvelous. But it was actually going, probably priced that wrong, didn't I? <laughs> you <know?
2: It's> like, <laughs> Could have asked oh. for more.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so I'm now trying to work out how to make more money off the podcast and how to deal with, you know, because I, I do so much writing and speaking for people, I have a lot of kind of partners or people who are potentially interested in sponsoring the podcast, and I get two or three people a week. Actually, probably that's that's probably a lie. One to two people a week contacting me saying, "Can I sponsor the podcast?" And it's like, no. So I'm, I'm trying to come up with some ideas for them, and uh, one of those will be a new podcast, a second podcast launching this summer.
2: Nice, yeah. So we're kind of kind We're looking at uh, using the uh, audience we're building with the podcast to um, as a filter for some services that we offer. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's probably where the monetization will come for our podcast but the podcast for for me has has existed because of the the message first Mm -hmm. um and we'll probably continue to do the podcast regardless of whether or not we ever managed to turn it into a, a revenue stream
0: yeah i mean last year year four was the first year the podcast made a profit if you purely look at the cost not not my time but the cost of production versus the income um, and so, yeah, it, it, it took a long time to get to the point where you can make money off the advertising. Um, you know, and I do, I do advertise my books on it when they're coming out. And I know some of the, the people I've had on the show do very nicely. Thank you very much from their coaching programs as a result <laughs> of being on, which uh, which is is good to know. So yeah, I know it works for a lot of people with the product side, but but for me, I'd. I I, I kind of, I find that I'm more naturally attracted to making money on the front end than mm-hmm. on the funnel, if that makes sense.
2: That does make sense. Yeah, we're, uh, um, one of the things that, and you probably speak to this really well, because you've been doing it for so long, is um, we found that for every like hour of content that you um, you create, it takes about eight to 10 hours of work to get it out and live and promoted and done every, everywhere, um, which yeah. is where... Um, like you mentioned, the cost of production. Like we actually had to turn that in. That's the service that we've created. We got a service called Push Button Podcast that we actually use mm-hmm. for clients who have podcasts. And we we handle all of that for them, so we can reduce their uh, production costs because um, we had to build all the systems for our business.
0: Yeah, and it's just you know I now have I've got an audiogram guy who's new to the team who's brilliant. I've got a VA over in the Philippines doing a whole load of the grunt work. I've got um, Various clever tools we use for creating social media content. And then I've got a show, someone who writes the show notes and someone who does the editing. And mm. I do spend a fair amount of my time just making sure the right information's with each person. And getting it all back and into the right places, which I've considered outsourcing. But for from, from my show, I find I'm adding a little bit of extra value each time I'm briefing someone so and i'm a little bit of a control freak at times too so i'm quite happy <laughs> doing doing those parts of it but yeah we're, between all of us i shudder to think how many hours it is per episode
2: yeah yeah it's uh, it's quite a bit we've uh, we've tracked mm-hmm. it down um with uh with our team because we have the way we've got the system going we have uh editor for multimedia um and then we have transcription and writing right so which the transcriptions get done and all the writing gets done we have graphic designer for all the graphic pieces um, and then we have the systems that get it all published and promoted everywhere. Um, so we have a pretty good idea of how much it takes each episode to get done. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's quite a bit.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and then you add in the, the getting the guest and getting mm-hmm. the guest to actually turn up on time. Um, <laughs> and, and all of that is a whole other extra thing. I mean, our first year, I think we asked for the 20 episodes we put out in, in the first year the podcast was live the first calendar year the podcast was live, I think we asked three times as many people. No, no, we asked hundreds. It must be more than that. So we got 20 episodes out and we asked 400, 450 people to be a guest on the show. Wow. Because retailers, who are the majority of my, my guests, I love you retailers if you're watching this and listening to this, but you are real nightmares as podcast guests because you're, because I'm not offering you a route to talk to your, to your audience. You know, mm. your, the audience for this podcast is an audience who could be relevant to my business. But if I get a retailer on the show, they're speaking to other retailers who are not, not their,
2: their target
0: customers. audience yeah. uh, most yeah. of the time. And, um, and retailers, one of the reasons I created the podcast is because retailers are notoriously bad at leaving their desks. Um, so to try and get them to do anything which is not directly related to driving sales is, is really hard work. So I'm forever grateful that I get retailers on the show. But gosh, for the first couple of years filling the interview slots was a nightmare
2: yeah i could imagine because like the way that our show works we're looking for entrepreneurs who want to tell their story Mm. um and we're you know we did 80 episodes last year and um we had more people interested in showing up on the show than we did uh, have space to do the show and like we're booked out for the next year for guests so it's interesting how the audience changes that completely
0: yeah. I mean, I, I get, I turn away a lot of supplier side people from being on the podcast, but retailers, gosh, the idea of being booked ahead. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's <that's> just <laughs> crazy. I mean, it, you know, it was kind of, it was last year before we really got to the point where I was happy with the flow of retailers we were getting. Cause it's, yeah, it's hard work, but it pays off.
2: Yeah. I can imagine. So, um, After your origin story, and just coming in to uh, talk a little bit about your superpower, right? This is, uh, um, you know, what you do or build or offer this world that helps solve problems for them. And the way I've been uh, been framing this for my guests recently is, you know, you have your set of skills in your life or in your business um, and your superpower, the way I like to think about that is it's the one skill that sort of energizes the rest of them. Right. For me, I've always been a systems and process guy and realized, um, you know, recently that a lot of the other things that I'm good at, right, like, you know, doing webinars and branding and and things like that that we do in our business are as a result of being really good at seeing the systems and processes. So for you, what has been um, the sort of the superpower, the power, or, you know, the skill that has energized the rest of what you do?
0: For me, it's being able to look at something complicated and make it appear simple which is something I think often the, the type of power you're, you're talking about is often something which you don't realize no one else can do until you're Very true. Yeah. Until you're, you're kind of like talking to someone about it. And, and I kind of first came to realize it when I would say we go from there to there. And I tell people about point A and point Z And then, you know, you, they go, why, how? And you're like, well, obviously <laughs> and they're like, I, don't, I don't get it. And then you'd explain all the points in between. They go, oh no way that's amazing and you're like okay uh did you does not everyone see it that way and it's that's what I do with with my books with my my talks with the not so much the podcast because the podcast about asking people questions but you know and, and asking the right questions but with the books and with with when I'm working with people it's always about trying to take something really really complicated and break it down to make it simple and easy to follow so people can can follow that process which is you know where the word master plan came from in the first place was because I was frustrated at the fact that having worked in mail order where the process to, re- to, to build a mail order business is very simple it's very straightforward everyone knows what the steps are there are experts at each step it's a very tried and tested model you know you find some data pick some products get it photographed get it repro get it laid out into the catalogue print it bind it uh, wrap it mail it it's it's linear it's very straightforward and that didn't exist in e-commerce and i was seeing a lot of people doing things that were blindingly obvious to me that they shouldn't be doing what they should be doing mm-hmm. and so the the first book the e-commerce master plan was about helping people trying to work out something approximating to that linear journey although it's never going to be linear in e-commerce um to to build and market a business so it's yeah it, it's certainly the it's the it's the like you said it's the bit at the bo- at the middle which everything else comes out from and sits on top of.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's... it's. Uh, I call that skill being able to put the cookies on the lower shelf for people, right? Take oh, something complex a... and make it simple for them.
0: That's a great way of explaining it.
2: Yeah, I yeah. I have to cause... think of the
0: British equivalent.
2: Yeah, because I don't think you guys yeah. use cookies, right? Cookies are different for you. I can't remember what they are. Crisps, maybe? Um,
0: biscuits. We call biscuits. cookies biscuits in the main... Although we do increasingly eat cookies, but um, but it would... But then, of course, cookies are cookies for web marketing. So, cookies are a difficult word.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we we uh, I was the, the metaphor essentially is that you know, we would you put the cookies on top of the refrigerator so the kids couldn't get them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Cause it's complicated. They got to stack things up and figure out how to get there. But if you can put the cookies on the lower shelf where, where someone could uh, can get them and understand the whatever it is that's there, that's a that's a it's a unique skill and not a lot of mm. people have it. Right. Um, And what's interesting is like even being an expert in the space, doesn't always make you a great teacher of the thing you're an expert at. Um, And and so being having the skill of being able to take something complicated and make it so someone who doesn't have that expertise and doesn't have that um, that skill set can understand it and then also go implement it is a really rare and valuable skill.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I like I like it as a skill. I'm quite happy with it, and it, <laughs> people seem to seem to find it incredibly useful. I get, I get really lovely messages every now and then from people saying, you know, please don't ever stop doing the podcast. Your books are amazing. Thank you so much. I can't believe I found you, and it, which is, you know, it's it's quite um, heartening. It keep, keeps me going.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So just out of for clarity's sake, all the books that are behind you, those are all yours.
0: Yeah, there's um, there's five of them. Uh, there's uh, the first first one I wrote was that little uh, navy blue one, e-commerce mark, mm. e-commerce master plan, which is your three steps to successful uh, online selling, and then ooh, this one here is the most recent one, the white one. Actually, hold on, mm. this one. <laughs> I'll oh, get the easier one. To point there out. you go. Much easier to point out. This is the the latest one. It came out in November. It's sitting at number one for e-commerce on Amazon. Co. UK, and it's usually somewhere near, the, somewhere near the top in America as well and it's all about how to get traffic that buys to your website nice. there's some mo- models and different things in there and then this is the one that goes alongside it customer persuasion which is about the customer journey and there's for anyone using e-commerce to sell to other businesses there's this one uh, which is about selling to other businesses and then there's oh hold on I can reach it there's the tiny one e-commerce delivery um which yeah I'll be I'll be brutally honest I wrote for two reasons one because I was going to challenge myself to write and launch a book in a week which I did with the ebook version of this um and and got it to bestseller status in that week too Nice. That, it was quite good fun uh and the other reason I wrote it was because if you search for e-commerce delivery on Amazon nothing came up and I was like there's an opportunity here um but it's it's tiny and it's yeah. there's nothing in it that's wrong but it really needs an update
2: yeah I can understand that my uh, first book from 2009 or something is uh, desperately in need of update no, most, none of it is relevant anymore <laughs> <laughs> it was called uh, why your website annoys the hell out of you
0: Oh, good title! Yeah,
2: yeah, it was. Uh, or sorry, why it annoys the hell out of your customers? Um, That's a really and it was, good title. It was in the uh, in the transition from the old Web 2.0 to sort of the more modern websites,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you know, the advent of mobile phones and some other things, and people were just doing a lot of things that were, you know, just not good for sales. Like you know, you'd start up, open up a page. You probably remember this: open a page, and music would start playing from nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah.
0: There was my, my favorite story of those is, uh, is a guy who used to work for me at the agency moved to Australia to work on a uh, kind of a healthcare brand, I suppose. You know, um, moisturizers, shampoos, those kind of products. And they one day, one week, they were in the, in the office going, why all the results? Why, what's happening with our Google ads? This is insane. Went to Google and saw they had a new competitor who was just outbidding them on everything. Um, which, you know, most of us would go, oh no, what are we going to do? This is crazy, Uh," ah, etc. They actually went onto the competitor's website and tried to place an order, you know, to find out how they were doing and all the rest of it. And they got, they put all the products in the basket, clicked, checkout, and they went to a page that said, please call us on to place your order. (laughs) At which point they went cool, we'll just cut back our budgets for a week because they ain't going to be around for long. And needless to say, within a month, they're gone again. But yeah, that, that's that's the worst one I've ever come across.
2: That's amazing. Um, I, the worst one I came across, and I've got a picture of it in the old book, was it was a Haitian website, a Haitian government website. And you opened it up and it was like a Photoshop document with just like logos of everything and like, it, like someone had taken like a, a six-year-old had made a collage of company logos and like plastered it on all the website and when you tried to like click on one of the logos it would take you to like that business's page I assume it's like an affiliate thing it was just mm-hmm. the worst <laughs> I was like oh man I can't believe things like this exist um, but they did mm-hmm. so Curious question on the books that you held up. You held yes. up one of them that was called the customer journey and this, um, this one. that that one I actually uh, and I'm curious if this is where you're going with it because I think it's one of the most important things in any sort of product selling is understanding the customer journey and where your products and services fit in. It's something that I teach a lot on um, and I'm going to give you my 30 second overview and just curious how yours fits in with it mm-hmm. and the idea is that Um, we look at, um, and the way I coach my clients is you look at your products and your services, um, in light of your customer being the hero in their own story, right? And your products or services are the, uh, you know, the wise old man who comes in and helps them accomplish their journey, so to speak, Mm -hmm. right? And the hero's journey. And that's, that's sort of how we, we look at and frame our marketing and our customer journeys is the customer is a hero in their own story. How do your products or services come along and help them, you know, complete their hero's journey? And I'm just curious how that sort of fits in with what you teach.
0: It would fit entirely, but my model um, comes in it from another angle, uses the customer journey another way. So for those watching on video, you can see the model. Yeah, there we go. I think, which for those of you not watching on video, let me um, explain what it looks like. If you think of six circles in a a row across the page from left to right, with arrows in between them, and the one on the far left-hand side is called the world, then you've got inquirers, then, sorry, then you've got visitors, forgetting my own model here, should have kept the book open. Uh, So we've got the world, we've got visitors, we've got inquirers, first time buyers, repeat buyers and regular buyers. And each of those circles, I call a customer relationship level. And that's the level of relationship everyone out there in the world has with your business. Everyone in the world fits into one of those. And our job as marketers, as as e-commerce business owners, to be fair, any business owner is to get as many people as possible from the left-hand side to the right-hand side as quickly as possible. That's how we make money, is -hmm. turning people who are out in the world into regular buyers. And so the arrows in between each of those circles are stages one to five. And the whole point of both customer persuasion and the the e-commerce marketing book is about helping people to understand that they should think about where have we where have I got a problem have I got a problem turning inquirers into buyers or turning buyers into repeat buyers or turning people getting people from the world to my website where's my problem and then right so I need to do some work in stage one stage two stage three whichever the stages are and then the each of the books outlines different solutions you can use in each of those stages So it's kind of to stop people from going I should be doing email marketing Or I should be doing Facebook ads and going, I've got a problem getting target customers from the world to visit my website. How could I solve that? Well, I could use Google ads. I could use SEO. I could use Facebook ads. I could use X, Y, and Z. Why don't I test Facebook ads in this way? Um, So it's to try and make people think of it that way. And then the customer persuasion book also goes into a lot of neuromarketing and a lot of things you can do on your website as well as just the the traffic activities.
2: Yeah. yeah, And I think I assume one of the things that you probably, um, talk about at least at some point is that, um, you probably at some point need to have every one of those things in your business, but you don't need to have all of them to start. You need to have, you know, you can like build them on like piecemeal as you grow in your business and you're like, okay, you know, our business at this level, we need to grow. Let's start talking about turning more of our buyers into regular buyers, or let's talk about getting more people from the world into our interest group. Um,
0: yeah, and I mean, use
2: those as growth strategies.
0: And one of the, uh, one of the, the, the um, kind of the training tools that goes with e-commerce, with the book e-commerce marketing in particular is to take a piece of paper and to draw out those stages and to go, what are we doing? You know, keep it really simple. I'm not actually looking at numbers or anything, but literally what, what are we doing to get people from the world to our website? And we break that down into three different types of marketing because there's so much of it, but I'll keep it simple. We'll just call it that one stage. And then the stage two from visitors to inquirers, stage three from inquirers to first-time buyers and so forth. And write down what you're actually doing to try and make the change. And if you've got a box where you're not doing anything, And that's a great place to start you know um it's which makes it a really simple easy to use tool and after you've done it a couple of times and you can start looking at going right which of those have i looked at in the last three months especially when you get further down you know have i've set up some automations have i actually looked at how they're performing in the last three months could i go back and improve them because it's it's often not about um it's often not, not about doing something new. It's often about improving what you're already doing, which we can be very yeah. bad for. As yeah,
2: well. yeah. I, uh, I, am, uh, I love having systems in place that do things regularly. And it's very often that you can get a system going and running and it runs on its own for so long that you forget it's there. And so you have to go back and look, you know, can we improve that um, and see how it's performing. And sometimes you'll see, you know, just in light of new information, um, you know, come at your your stuff that you've set up a long time ago and be like, yeah, we could improve it in a lot of ways. And sometimes it's not at all. Sometimes you're like, yeah, it's perfect the way it is. You can go on, but at least you're remembering you remember and get check up on those things.
0: I often find when I go back to look at something, you know, like an onboarding sequence for podcast guests or, you know, something else I'm doing. And, and I look at it and I go, oh i thought it already said that you know <laughs> You're like oh i thought i'd already built built those things into it but i completely haven't you know it's like, that would explain why all the guests are turning up really confused when i asked that question oh okay <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. When, you, uh,
2: when you when you thought about it so hard you thought you did it
0: mm. <laughs> you've written it on the to-do list sufficient times but it yeah, actually yeah. It never actually happened yeah
2: yeah i always i i always like that when i was like i my wife will call me on that. i am be like, I'm certain we did this. She's like, I'm pretty sure all you did was think about it really hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I totally feel you there. So my uh, my next question is actually the flip side of the superpower, right? So if your superpower is uh, what you do um, to help people, your fatal flaw is your weakness, right? Like Superman has this kryptonite, something that has held you back in your business from growth that you've had to work on and fight against in your own your own sort of life what has been that sort of night for you that's held you back that you wish you could uh, Um, change and more importantly actually make sure hmm. I finish that how have you worked on that so people who suffer from the same thing might uh, might be able to uh, learn from you
0: yeah it's quite it's it's a convoluted one I keep giving you convoluted answers Um, so it's my hatred of sales which I know many people when you say that I go oh yeah you, you don't hate sales, no one hates sales, everyone has to do sales it's like yeah but sales are exhausting when you're doing the wrong way and I spent many years doing sales the wrong way um, and you know taking what, because it's it's like the bit I find the hardest and it, because of the introvertism and because it involves invading someone else's time and space you know mm-hmm. like even a cold, back, back when I was running the agency and I was in charge of new business there it was like when it there'd be the list of people I had to chase up, proposals I had to chase up, and it would get moved to the next week and moved to the next week. And inevitably at four o'clock on the Friday before I took a week off, that's when everyone got a message. Because at that point, I felt I was being helpful, letting them know that I was going to be away next week. You know, so finally I had something helpful to say to them, not just, did you like the proposal? But I could say, I'm away next week. So if you need me, it'll have to wait till the following week. And then I felt okay sending out these messages. Um, So I, know, I, I I often joke that I have left hundreds of thousands of pounds on desks all around the world by not following up. So I've had to come up with a number of strategies to help myself deal with that. Cause you know, you have to make sales or you don't have a yeah. business. Um, but I've also, part of that has become understanding as an introvert, how I operate and how to play on my strengths in the sales process. Because I'm, you know, in a sales call, in a sales meeting, I can be really good, you know, but I couldn't do it all day, every day. So I have to make sure I keep my energy levels for the calls where I have to be great. Um, and, and you know, find ways of automating or avoiding the things that make the, you know, that destroy my energy reserves. So that's been, a, been an interesting journey and is one of the reasons why Uh, My business is focused on making money on the front end, not on the funnel, because any kind of coaching program or, uh, you know, having a lot of clients that I'm having to work with intensively is just going to wear my energy levels out. So trying to sell into those people is never going to happen because I'm also not going to sell it because I don't want to have to deliver it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's also that kind of like getting the, 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 the cart and the horse right around, you know, so you're selling something you actually want to deliver and you actually believe in, um, which not that I've never believed in things I've been selling, but you know, that you, you really want to deliver because if I'm trying to sell something I don't actually want to deliver, um, I tend not to sell it at all.
2: Yeah, I, I totally feel you on that. Right. So I'm, I'm not quite like a full introvert. Um, I, I, I'm definitely on the introverted side, but and taught myself to be really good at being an extrovert growing up over the years. Um, but it's not a thing that energizes me like a normal person who would be an extrovert. So like, I totally get that of like, if I, if I spend too much time doing all the things, then I get worn out right? Um, And I'm like, I have to go recharge. So I've done a number of things in my life. One of them is like, you know, our lifestyle, we travel all the time. So I've always got rest recharge sort of built into my life. Um, And so I can come and be who I need to be for my business. Um, But Mm -hmm. the other thing that has been really helpful for me has been, um, you know, to your point of like selling things that you know you want, that you you actually care to deliver is realizing Mm -hmm. like I um, was Uh, For me, it was moving out of things that like I had developed skills in and moving into sort of my zone of genius, right, which is, you know, my superpower is building the systems and processes and then building businesses around that, Um, because those are things that I really love doing and I can, I can build. Um, And then they're easy for me to sell, um, because I know I can deliver really well on them. Um, And so it makes the whole process more energizing. Um, because it's like I know I can sell that I know I can you know I can scale it it fits in with my lifestyle that sort of of fits together so it's it's an interesting discussion to really look at where are my strengths and how can I build my business to play to those strengths Um, and then fill in people that will will uh, take Mm. care of your weaknesses in that area
0: yeah and it's not just a case of going I have to do this keep bashing my head against a brick wall it's 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 trying to make sure that actually you you work out why it's difficult and then you solve those problems. Yeah. because you know, yeah,
2: Willpower is a limited resource. Mm, so. Yeah.
0: And, and, you know, trying to forcing myself, is like trying to force a square peg into a round hole, even if that square peg looks great in the round hole, once you get it there, <laughs> it's slightly random analogy, but roll with it, uh, then you know, it's still taken a hell of a lot more effort to get the square peg into the round hole than it would have just done the round hole in the, in the first place. And it's kind of seeing myself as the square peg and finding the square holes mm-hmm. rather than going, okay, I can do this, but it destroys me. So maybe I should not do it anymore or find someone else to do it. Um, actually, the audiograms is, uh, is a case in point. I often find these days, with the, you know, the small things you realize you shouldn't be doing, is the audiograms was on my to-do list week after week after week from the beginning of the year. Um, it's been on the to-do list. We're doing audiograms this this year. And I quite like using the tool. But actually, of all the things I could be doing, it got left to Friday afternoon. You get to 4 o'clock on Friday, and you're like, audiograms or no no
2: audiograms? No so it's like, I don't want to do that.
0: You know, And I've got a guy who does it for me for you know really reasonable sum. I'm like, well, why did I not just hire him in January? Yeah. But hey, <laughs> you know. So we. Know I'm still learning now.
2: <laughs> I, I have a lot of things, and I've, I've been a lot more judicious over the last year on like, yep, I don't want to do that, uh, even when I'm good at it, because mm. um, being good at it doesn't necessarily mean it's uh, highest and best use of your time, right? There's so there's true. things that are much better, especially as you grow your business, and you sort of step more into that CEO role. The things that you should be doing are like the vision and the processes and the systems for your business and, and like figuring out where the growth engines are and stuff like that, getting in and doing the, the actual delivery of the product is generally not a high, high enough level task for the Mm -hmm. CEO of the business to be handling.
0: Um, And also as the, as the owner, you need to be there to be able to sprinkle fairy dust. I always think you know, and if you're involved in the day-to-day with the clients, you can't sprinkle fairy dust and solve problems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which which is a, you, you know, when there's, when some when something goes wrong, you need to be able to go in and, and be, you know, fix it for them. Um, you know, make everything better again. Oh, the, the big man came down and sorted it all out for us and we love your company again or something. Or, yeah. you know, just to turn up randomly and climb in and go, Oh my God, you're actually speaking to me. This is amazing. And that, when I had the agency, that was something which I found the team found really useful, was if when a client was being an ass, um, you know, we were doing the best we could for them, but they just weren't getting, or they just were, you know, refusing. You know, we want. We had one client who we we did a lot of Google Ads. We had one client who sold uh, fake flowers, you know, like really beautiful fake flower arrangements, and they about every quarter. the the team would go and see them to see how things were going to find out what was new coming up in the products and they would inevitably the owner of the business who didn't really understand what we did uh would say why aren't we bidding on flowers the keyword flowers you know and the team kept saying because it'll cost you a fortune it won't get you any sales no no but how but we really should we can't let you do this and then this kind of went backwards and forwards for about a year. The client going, can we please do this? In the end, the, the guys were just like, they're going to ask us again, what do we do? So I had a, had a chat with the with and um and said, look, I know you really want to bid on flowers. We are going to bid on flowers for one day for you. And then we're going to send you the results. And then you can decide whether you want to do it again or not. How much are you willing to spend? And he said, oh, we'll spend a thousand pounds okay because they were only spending about a thousand pounds a month anyway with us but he was so convinced this was going to be the solution to his business so we're like right okay we'll do it we spent a thousand pounds in a day and they got no sales and we sent him the results and he went oh (laughs) it was like okay i get it now just wasted a
2: thousand bucks
0: yeah but it but it's like the, the team you know it was it was it was the right space for the team to have me go and do that with yeah. him because he also then felt oh i'm getting getting some special service here which also made the bitter pill of i'm a moron <laughs> easier to take um but it's yeah it's i was found found with the agency that was quite cool was that i i was separate to some extent so i could really help out the team when they needed that extra bit in a sales meeting or they needed that extra bit when a client was being a pain
2: yeah yeah i'm uh i'm working on that with our our push button podcast agencies i i, I know like my next couple of hires are going to need to be like the project managers where mm-hmm. they're working with the clients all the time and it's not me so i can start moving into that role that you're talking about where you're the one who you know who sprinkles the fairy dust so to speak
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, instead of the one actually doing the delivery so